It's sufficient for me. It's my. 
What powerful words we have just sung. I want to pray them over you right now. Lord, thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, thank you for your grace that's sufficient. It's all we have. And I pray that you would fill each household right now with your grace. Grace for healing. Grace for provision. Grace for strength. Grace for reconciliation. Grace for justice. Lord, we just ask for your grace to be manifest in each household, in our community, in this world, Lord. We need you, and we thank you for this powerful truth that your grace is sufficient. It's all we have. You're all we have, and make your grace abound to each of us in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, welcome. It's so great to have you here with us. We're so glad that you've joined us this weekend at Cathedral of Faith. You're in the right place to get God's perspective. In fact, this year of 2020 is a year to get God's vision and perspective on how he sees each of us, how he helps us to see each other, how we should see our community, see our nation, and see our circumstances. And my prayer is that in this moment, God would help you to see clearly. And one of the things that we read from the Apostle Paul about how he sees this in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians is this. Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Did you hear that? The new has come. It's a new normal. It's a new season. It's a new opportunity for us, for God to show us how he sees us and how he sees our circumstances. Out with the old, in with the new. Out with fear, in with courage. Out with dread, in with expectation. Because we are forgiven, we are loved, we are blessed. In fact, Paul goes on to write just a few verses later about that incredible blessing that we have through Christ. And in chapter 9, he writes these words. The person who blesses sparingly will also be blessed sparingly. And the person who blesses generously will also be blessed generously. God is able to make every blessing overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in being a blessing. You will be blessed in every way for all your generosity. We recognize that God's forgiven us so we can forgive. He's loved us so we can love. He's blessed us so we can be a blessing. You'll see at the bottom of the screen the number where you can text your gifts so that you can be a blessing in this moment through your generosity and giving. We thank you so much for the way that you have been faithful during this time, and we pray that the fulfillment of that scripture would happen in you, that you would be generously blessed because of your generosity. You can also stop by our website, our app. You can stop by the office or mail your gifts. We look forward to what God's going to do to bless you as you respond in blessing. And so that you can get an idea of what God's doing with your generosity and blessing, take a look at this video of what God's been doing at Reaching Out.
Hello, Cathedral family. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so glad that you are locked in with us here today. We are blessed to have a very, very special guest speaker for this July 4th weekend. You know, I've been in the valley here most of my life and have been on staff at the Cathedral of Faith for almost 40 years. So I've met a lot of people and a lot of leaders over that time. And I believe our guest speaker today is one of the most powerful forces for the kingdom that we have ever had in the Bay Area. Herman Hamilton pastored a great church out in Boston for 17 years. And six years ago, six and a half years ago, he planted the New Beginnings Community Church up in Redwood City. He's doing an amazing job. It's a great church. And they're going to be opening up in San Jose a site before too long. And we're really excited about that. Um, over these years, I've gotten a chance to know Herman, and I just think he's an awesome guy, a tremendous leader, and we are very grateful to have him here in the Bay Area, and I am super grateful to call him friend. And he's here to, to speak a very important message for us during this time. And so, Herman... Man, it's great to have you with us. Man, it's good to be here. And I'm just overjoyed to be with the Cathedral family. And I just want to take a, take a moment and thank you, not only for the honor of allowing me to spend a little time with the uh, Cathedral family, but I want to thank you for the honor of just allowing me to call you friend. And uh, as everybody knows, not only are you a wonderful pastor and preacher and leader, you're just an amazing human being. And you have been a gift to me personally. So I just want to thank you. And would you just be kind enough to offer a word of prayer over the message and uh, then we'll get started. Oh, um, I'd love to. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this moment that we have together and we surrender it to you. I pray that as Herman speaks, the Holy Spirit would energize, anoint every word. God, our hearts are receptive. We put our ourselves in position to receive the word that you have for us today. Lord, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys, so it's so good to be with you uh, today. It's just a real blessing. Uh, today, we gather really in the midst of what I think is a defining moment uh, for not just our nation, but for our world and for the church. Uh, as we work through issues around racial reconciliation and racial justice. And I just want to share a word with you today, which is the same word uh, and challenge that I've been sharing with my own congregation, which is super diverse across ethnicity and race and political affiliation, New Beginnings Community Church of the Bay Area, and the challenge that I've been sharing with them. And it's simply this, you see, uh, I believe that Jesus' followers in this day that we are obligated not just to participate in this work of reconcili racial reconciliation, but to lead it. And here's why. Two basic reasons. The church from its very beginning has always been filled with every expression, every 
color, ethnicity uh, of the human family. And that the work of redemption that Jesus does is extended to people of every nation, every race, every tongue, every ethnicity. And then secondly, Jesus says to us uh, just the night before he's crucified, that I want you to love one another even as in the same way that I have loved you. And then he went on and sacrificed his life. And so those believers who were standing in proxy for all of us ultimately understood that, that we are to be willing to sacrifice our lives for each other. That includes across race and ethnicity in pursuit of righteousness and the work of justice as Jesus followers. So let's get together and uh, let's prepare to share. It's a wonderful word that I've been living with here. This passage out of the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 11, verse 32. And uh, I'm just going to read it for us. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? Jesus asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? Verse 38, and Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Let me begin by saying that this passage frames what I have called at New Beginnings uh, my Connect Four challenge. And it's simply this. I, I challenge all of you who are listening to identify two or three people who are of a different ethnicity or race than you are and have a conversation with them about their story of race in America. And obviously, if you're not African-American, given this historic moment, I would encourage you to make sure that among those folk are African-Americans. And if you are African-American, then I would encourage you, obviously, to be talk to someone that's different from you. Now, Jesus models for us what I call connect four principles, that if we follow his lead uh, and do what he teaches us in this text, uh, we will connect with others across race and ethnicity in, a trans in transforming relationships. And so here they are very, very quickly. One, he teaches us that the first thing we ought to do is to listen. The second thing we ought to do is to lament. He wept with Mary. The third thing we ought to do is to learn. It's wrapped up in that amazing metaphor where they say, come and see, come walk with us, Jesus. The third, and the fourth thing we ought to do is to, is to lift up the power of God as we pray together and as we work together to overturn what looks like permanent reality. And we'll walk through these in just a minute. 
But at the center of our discussion today are three, what I want to call unseen or hidden dangers that can actually uh, undermine our efforts to reach across ethnicity and race as Jesus followers and transform ourselves and the world around us. Uh, And I want to work through these three as we work through this text. Uh, Here they are. First is what I call hidden trauma. Second, unspoken skepticism. And third, uh, uh, displaced guilt. First, let's start with hidden trauma. As a baby at six months old, I was uh, horribly chemically burned in my head, which left me very disfigured uh, for most of my years growing up. So in middle school, I used to wear a knit cap very much like this. I would cover my head. And I'd wear it all the time, even into the classroom. And when I would inevitably get in the classroom, the teacher ultimately would say, Herman, pull off that cap. And so I would begin to slowly pull off the cap. And as I did, I would begin to feel immediately exposed, embarrassed, ashamed, remarkably different than anyone else in the room. Because I wasn't just simply exposing my scars. I was exposing my trauma. Now, here's the first thing that you just have to keep in mind if you're not African-American and you're getting ready to talk to us about our story of race in America is that you got to know that when you ask us to share that story, you're asking us to expose our trauma. And that ought to sensitize the type of conversation that we have with one another. Interestingly enough, this is remarkably modeled here in this text. Mary, in verse 32, just to give you some quick context, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, they are siblings. And Jesus is very close to them. They live in Bethany. Whenever he's visiting Jerusalem, he stops by and visits them, actually stays with them. Lazarus unexpectedly took ill, and they sent word to Jesus, and Jesus didn't even respond when Jesus shows up. It turns out to be four days after he's buried, after Lazarus is buried. And so Mary is so upset that when Jesus first comes to town, she didn't even want to see him. Then finally, she ultimately uh, runs out. She meets him. She throws herself at his feet. And if you look at the context, she's really coming at Jesus a little bit. Lord, verse 32, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And what she's saying is, I know that you have the power to heal. You didn't even respond to our request. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And so uh, in some ways she's suggesting, you know, you're a little bit responsible for the pain that I'm dealing with because you could have stopped it. That's Mary pulling off her cap. That's Mary exposing her trauma. And Jesus teaches us how to respond. What does he do? First, he listens. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't try to deflect. He doesn't say, Mary, you know me better than that. How could you say that about me? He does not take it personally. As a matter of fact, he laments. The next verse says that as he sees her weeping and he sees the people around her wailing, uh, then it says anger begins, it wells up within him and he's deeply, deeply troubled. In other words, 
Mary is angry about the loss of her brother, and Jesus is angry about the loss of her brother. And then she's weeping, and the folk around her weeping, and the next verse says, Jesus wept. He's weeping with her. He's lamenting with her. You see, when you're having a conversation about race with, for example, an African-American, that's not the opportunity for you to have an academic conversation. Well, let me give you my three points. It's not a time for you to have a political or social policy discussion. It is, an op it is the time for you to respond to my trauma with love. Notice how the people standing around immediately recognized the love that flowed from Jesus. They said, see how he loved him? See how he, Jesus, loved him, Lazarus. They figured it out based on Jesus' lamenting with Mary. You know, my wife and I have received a number of, of communications over this period of time, and one person wrote me who's a member of our NBCC community, and she said in her letter, she said, I am Pastor Herman. I'm so sorry for what you and your family is going through. I'm watching this on TV. She says, I'm not an African-American, so I don't fully understand the way you, you, you guys are experiencing, but I want you to know that I weep with you guys. I'm so sorry, and I'm praying for you. And then she went on to say, she went on to say, and I've discovered some, own, some biases in my heart that I didn't even know was there. I'm working through it, and I'm praying for you. Oh, see how she loved us. See how she loved God. This is a time for us to all check our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us some surprising things, perhaps about ourselves, as we seek to love. So the first hidden danger is to be unaware of the trauma. We're having a conversation about trauma. Second uh, hidden danger that I want to make sure we call out is what I call unspoken skepticism. Listen, here's what you just need to know. That when an African-American comes to the table to have a conversation with you, on both sides of the table, there's some skepticism. Let's return to the text. When Mary says, Lord, if only you had been here. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can almost see through those words a little broader what she's thinking. Look, look, Jesus, for three and a half years, you stayed in our home. We fed you. We supported you. We, we, we were there for you. And the one time we needed you the most, you didn't show up. Can you hear in those words a little skepticism? A little skepticism about whether or not she could fully trust Jesus? Well, often at the heart of skepticism is this notion of trust. Now, let me say a couple of things. Skepticism always has context. So one context for skepticism, both for African-Americans and for those who are talking to us, is often the absence of relationships. Let me share a quick story. Back in my days in Boston during a horrible winter, uh, my niece who had come to visit me, the two of us got in the car, a, a baby blue SUV, drove to the local grocery store. I left the car running with his lights on so she could sit there and stay warm, ran in the store, came out with my stuff, 
evidently, maybe I came out through a different door, got a little disoriented, and uh, I looked, I couldn't find my car, and then I saw it, there it is right there. Baby blue SUV, the lights are on, and the car's vehicle's running. I run as fast as I can run, slam open the door, jump into the driver's seat, only to discover that there's a white guy sitting in the passenger side seat. And he immediately responds by screaming, ah! <laughs> and I immediately, I immediately respond by screaming, ah! <laughs> Turns out I, was, I got in the wrong car, guys. <laughs> so, you know, a few minutes later, I apologize. Obviously, get in my car, and we pass each other as we're exiting the parking lot. Two identical vehicles. I said, see, this is my car. <laughs> Why were we screaming? Well, in the absence of relationship, all you have are stereotypes. All he saw was an African-American tall running, jumping into his car. And, and, and he reacted to the stereotype jumping into his car. And all I saw was a reaction from a white guy sitting in the seat next to me, and I reacted to the stereotype of his reaction. You see the point. Stereotype. How many African-Americans do you know? I mean, really know? Uh, to the African-American community, how many people who are white and Asian and Latino and others that you actually know. Relationships makes the difference. One of my uh, uh, staff people, uh, Sumi Kim, drives this point home powerfully. She shared that she grew up in Korea and that the only thing she knew about African-Americans was what she saw through the media. She always saw African-Americans either slaves or criminals through the media in Korea. When her parents talked about African-Americans, that was the lens through which they talked about us. And she said she remembers as a teenager seeing on TV the L.A. riots. She knew very little about the whole beating of, of Rodney King, and she absolutely knew nothing about the Korean woman who shot the young African-American teenager in front of a store. All she saw was African-Americans looting and, and vandalizing, et cetera, et cetera. So she says when she came to... America, she came with her own real racial biases, the lens through which she saw African-Americans, but she's a nurse. And so she started to work in hospitals, practicing medicine alongside of other African-Americans who were nurses and doctors, et cetera, et cetera. And as she developed relationships, as she started to talk back and forth, as she began to hear and exchange stories, her mind was totally uh, just blown away. How radically different the real-life people were from the stereotypes. And in her words, African-Americans said that we are beautiful and brilliant and compassionate. What made the difference? Relationships. Relationships. So one context for skepticism that we, all, we want to call out is the absence of relationships, right? Another context for skepticism is really... Uh, the lack of lived experience as it relates to systemic racism. Uh, here, I love this text. Let's go back to the text. Jesus says basically one thing through this dialogue. Where have you put him? Where have you buried Lazarus? I expected the people to respond to Jesus by simply saying, well, he's in the cemetery on the other side of town. But that's not their response. Their response is an invitation 
into deeper relationship. Their response is an invitation into walking with them. They say, come and see. Come come and see. Walk in solidarity. You can only imagine that grief-stricken walk to the graveyard where Lazarus was, was buried. And while Jesus couldn't walk in their shoes, he could walk alone beside them. This is a wonderful metaphor for moving from a dialogue to a relationship to having the process say, you know what, I've got to learn what it's like for you to be who you are in America. Now, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about with people who are not African Americans, and I share with them a horrendous story, and they say, I'm sorry to hear that story, but I'm still not convinced that's an, that's a, an example of racial bias. systemic racism. By the way, let me give you a quick definition for racism. That's prejudice plus institutional power, the power to make it policy and practices throughout the culture. And I can't tell you how offensive that kind of conversation uh, response often is. Here's why. Because if you are white, for example, and you share that with me, uh, my instinct is to point out that you've never been a black man in America. Not even one day. I've got 55 years of dealing with with racial bias in this country. I mean, in in elementary school, uh, we were the first integrated class in Coachella, Louisiana, and a whole host of parents, white parents, took their kids out and built a private school because they didn't want their kids to be contaminated with the support of the public uh, school board. I mean, in college, uh, I, I fought to have Grambling, the town that uh, my university was in, to build a private clinic because this historic black college, uh, our, the students, when we went next door to Ruston, we were just totally humiliated and mistreated in the healthcare centers there because of the color of our skin. I mean, in, in seminary here in the Bay Area, I, I pulled up in front of our, my stepfather's home one day with my wife and a baby in the back, dressed to kill from church, you know, and suddenly the car was surrounded by police with their hands on their guns. Turns out to be mistaken identity. In Arkansas, the first church I pastored, I organized and, 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 and mobilized our community to fight against the local banks that drew a red line around a certain zip code. And if you stayed in that zip code, all of whom were African-Americans, they wouldn't entertain a mortgage from you. Or if they would give you a mortgage, it was at this outrageous rate, right? In Boston, when I got there as a new pastor, I walk into a Woolworths store, dressed to kill again. As you can see, I like dressing. I don't get to do it in California. But (laughs) I I, I dress to kill. I pull out my wallet to pay for something. I happen to have several credit cards in my wallet. And the person says, excuse me. She takes the credit card, goes back, gives it to the manager. He calls the credit card company. The credit card company calls my wife and says, I think your husband's credit card has been stolen. Here I was standing out being humiliated, treated like a criminal when I was just an African-American preacher trying to buy something at Woolworth. Just a few weeks ago, I walk into a corner store and the person behind the counter, despite the other three people, keep both eyes on me. So when I talk to you about my experience of race in America, don't delegitimate it because, in a real sense, you're delegitimizing me. And lastly, there's this notion of what I want to call uh, uh, misplaced 
guilt, displaced guilt. Notice the text. Here's the question. Why didn't Jesus defend himself? Why didn't Jesus say, Mary, I can't believe you're coming at me like that. Mary, you know. Why didn't he take it personally? Why didn't he deflect? Because Jesus knew at the end of the day, Jesus knew that Lazarus' death was not his fault. But he also knew that Lazarus' death was going to present him with a profound opportunity to expose to the world who he really is. That's what happens, right? (laughs) Now, let me just point out something right here. Whenever there's a conversation about race and African-Americans are talking to people, particularly given our context, white or, 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 or Asian in America in particular because of, of the history there of tension and, and so forth, uh, there's always this question in the air. Here's the question. And African-Americans, you need to know this. We just need to be aware of it. Are all white people responsible for every act of racism? Are all white people responsible for what happened to Mr. Floyd? Surely the cop who had his knee on his neck cavalierly for uh, eight minutes and 46 seconds is responsible. Surely the folk who helped are responsible. But are all white people responsible? Are all white people responsible for the incidents that I just laid out over the breadth and length of my life? Are all white people responsible for all the different ways that racism has soaked itself into the very fabric and institutions of this country? Are all white people responsible? See, that's the question that's going to, that's always in the air. And let me just acknowledge that African-Americans, we're not uh, homogeneous around the answer to this question. There are some who would say, absolutely. You're either directly responsible or indirectly responsible because your power and privilege is the result of all of the injustices. I just want you to know I push back hard on that. And, 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 and so my answer is no. But let me, let me drive it home by making it personal. Let's call into the room my dear friend uh, John Kingston. We go back 20 years. We've been there for each other. He recently ran for the Republican Senate seat in Massachusetts. He lost I tried to be there for him the way that he had been there for me. What about my friend, Pastor George Henneman? Uh, He's currently the pastor of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. Every week we're on the phone talking about sermons and talking about the issues of our lives. We're a powerful relationship. What about my dear friend, Pastor Stan Johnson, who's a retired Presbyterian minister. For 14 of my 17 and a half years in Boston, we met for breakfast every week, week after week. It tells you something about the depth of our relationship. What about Pastor uh, Dan Monroe, who helped me to give birth to New Beginnings Community Church of the Bay Area? If you bring them in the room, is it their fault that horrible racism exists in America? What would I say to them? I would say to them, it's not your fault, but it is your moment. It's not your fault, but it is your opportunity to to reveal actually who you truly are as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not your fault, but it is our shared responsibility. And I would challenge them to, 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 to look at their sphere of influence and where they see the work of justice that needs to be done as it relates to race, to do it. 
So I applaud my good friend John Kingston, for example, who just wrote an article for Christianity Today calling out racism, even in the evangelical side of the church, against people saying, don't do it. And hiring his lead person, being an African-American policy person, he's working in his sphere of influence, pushing back. I'd applaud Pastor Dan Monroe, who uh, the other day in, in one of our major meetings said, look, I don't know, the, I, I can't understand fully the pain of what African-Americans are going through, but with tears coming down his cheeks, he says, I so want to learn. And he inspired others who had gathered around to follow his lead. He's, he's using his influence using his influence in his sphere of authority. What about you? What's your sphere of influence that you can push back in from the corner store to the classroom to the courtroom? What's your sphere of influence that you can push back from, from the boardroom to the ballot box? Where's your sphere of influence? Is it hosting forums to help people to talk about this stuff? Or is it simply talking to your grandparents about it or your grandkids about it? What's your sphere of influence? Now, let me end here. <laughs> this text is powerful because Jesus shows up at the graveyard, and the text says he's still angry. And, and, and the first thing he does is he looks up and he prays, and he reminds us that, that above all, beyond the politics and the, all the other things, right, that race, just like everything else, this battle is a supernatural battle. We need to be empowered ultimately by the, by the love and the power of God. And then uh, Pastor Gary Gadini, he points out that the miracle is a communal miracle, right? The first thing Jesus says is, roll the stone away. So there were some people there who had to remove the obstacle, roll the stone. Some of you listening to me, you're, you're stone rollers in your sphere of influence. And then Jesus steps back and does what only Jesus can do, and he speaks to death and says, Lazarus comes out. And this, this dead man comes making his way out of the grave, and, 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 and Jesus takes what looks like permanent reality, death, and he overturns it makes it a better reality. But the miracle is not finished. Lazarus is still wrapped up in his grave clothes as, a, as, as uh, the pastor Jason Reynolds here and uh, pastors a uh, local church here in, in San Jose says uh, the miracle wasn't complete because there was a, a live man still dressed in dead man clothes. And so Jesus said, look, those of you who are close to him, you've got to unwrap him, unwrap him and let him go. Some of you listening, it's your task and responsibility to unwrap the consequences of injustice and oppression. 400 years of that stuff. you got to help us to untangle it and unwrap it. You see, whatever your spear is, you've got to use your influence as Jesus followers to make a difference. Here's ultimately where I want to end. At the end of the day, that Jesus would go to the cross and he would die and he would pour out his blood to, to forgive all of us of our sins. And then he would rise from the dead and he would, he would give birth to a church. And this thing called the church, it's the place where those who want to be part of healing, and it's the place where those who've been on the wrong side of injustice, that we come together in this thing called the church. And it is the shed blood of Jesus that binds us together across our diversity. It is the shed blood of Jesus that makes us one community, one family, and makes us an irrefutable force 
for good and righteousness and justice in the name of Jesus in the world, a light that darkness can't put out. So let's follow Jesus and be the church in the world. Amen. Now let me challenge you. I want you to think about making a commitment to do your part. And there's a reflection question that we're going to throw up and I want you to take out your phone and take a picture of that reflection question. And uh, it simply asks this, what is one thing I can do in my sphere of influence to push back against the sin of racial injustice? And I want to pray for you. And uh, I want to again thank Pastor Ken for allowing me this honor. Lord God, I give you thanks and praise. It's a joy to be with those who are listening to me today. I believe that this is a God-orchestrated moment for all of us to hear what you have to say as you call us all into a fresh and brand new responsibility of walking out what it means to be Jesus followers in this moment. Give us the courage to reach beyond our, the boundaries of our ethnicities. Give us the faith to dialogue with the sensitivity of your love and bind us together that we might not just talk with one another, but we might act together to overturn what looks like permanent reality by your power into a better reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Welcome, Cathedral of Faith oh, family. Shit. Come on, it's the come on in. It's the wrap. Yep. <laughs> We're going to continue this conversation. Um, thank you to Pastor Herman who yes. just brought a great word and sparked a great conversation that is much needed uh, in our lives and yes. in our culture. And so, come on in. Yeah. We're going to talk about this. Uh, Pastor Mel, what hit you? You know, Pastor Van, I can't help uh, but feel. Uh, the word's not encouraged, um, but definitely um, uplifted enough to move forward. I can't help but feel like after hearing Pastor Herman and, and what he had to share and listening to his experience, 55 years, he said, he's lived this life um, in, and in his present reality, sharing with us um, and saying, it's okay. It's okay hear my story, own that story, and help you move forward. And I think listening to it, hearing it um, has helped me huge it's almost like a weight's been lifted and i'm not under the heavy burden of having to try to answer these questions on my own um but we have we have this we have this friend called pastor herman um that's sort of come in our living rooms today um to just help us um move forward no, it's it's really good uh i like the idea that small talk can be really a big talk now it's not awkward to do a small talk and ask uh, your friends, or even an, uh, a people that you don't even know. I did this one time, and I particular asked a black person. I just asked, like, how do you feel about what's going on? And that's all I did. And we start having this great conversation. And, and I just listen, actually. So it's okay to just listen and start having that conversation. You don't need to answer. You don't need to have this solution. But you can learn by listening. 
I, I really appreciated just the, the spirit in which he communicated. I thought, yes. I thought he just embodied humility. I thought he, and gentleness and love and compassion. And you could even see it in his, how he told uh, his story. And you saw the pictures of people that he intentionally yeah. walked with, right. had breakfast with. Right. And like he, this was not um, a campaign for his church or, right. or anything. It was the way he lived his life. Um, mm-hmm. And is living his life to try to build bridges, and you yeah. felt that spirit. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and 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 the whole like what you're saying there too, Aurora, is that you know you don't have to have the answers, you don't have to have the agenda. So his point about just you know relationship, right, right, is really key that we saw in the scripture and how he unpacked that. Absolutely, I think the ministry of presence, and I feel. Um, it reminds me of other situations that you don't understand as well and other relationships. Like if you have somebody who's going through something, whether it's a, a very hard sickness or a, a divorce or something that you just don't understand, the ministry of presence, I don't have to know what to say. I don't have to even understand. But just the fact that I was like, hey, I love you and I'm here. Right. Like that can be so powerful. And yeah. I know that's been powerful in my life where I had someone who was just there. I don't remember what they yeah. said, but I knew that they were there. Mm. So it's like the quote that um, escapes me who said it, but like it, people will not, don't remember what you say as much as how you made them feel. That's right. right? You know, it's like the feeling. And the relationship is really big. I remember, I know this, um, she's in heaven now, this lady, she lived in Oakland, her, we call her mother. Mother is such a, she was welcoming, she loved on you, she was always welcoming and we would go visit her all the time. And I remember, you know, I wanted to braid my hair, you know, like, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but how the black people braid their hair, right? With the extensions, so I did that. And then I came to see her and she was mad offended but because of our relationship I took it up right away because I didn't want to offend her and then later on she told me why it was really too hard because she was an old school mm-hmm. she was just telling me those are the the, the 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 reason why they braid their hair is to protect the hair to make it you know grow it's not some fashion that they trying to you know to show up but because we built relate I built relationship with her I can respect that without even questioning her. It's mm-hmm. the relationship that holds us together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, and it's it's okay to to get it wrong, right? Yes, yes. So it's you know, and like if I think if the spirit and the trust is on both sides, like of like every other friendship or marriage or mm-hmm. you know relationship, like we we get it wrong. Like we're fallen people. Like it's mm-hmm. just sometimes we our minds not in the right space or our hearts not in the right space and. But then you have some equity there, the relationship yeah. that will give mm-hmm. grace yeah. to to the other. It's yeah. like yeah. there's there's a bigger picture involved yeah. instead of just getting the answer right yeah. or wrong, per right. se. It comes back to where we sort of left off last week about process. Yeah. Pastor Herman talks about this process going from the dialogue that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. So racial reconciliation, dialogue. And he gives us this tool called relationship, right, to move from the dialogue and into relationship, and if we can make that shift, again, we're on we're on our way. We're we're moving yeah. forward uh, about being present um, and being okay with getting it wrong. You know what? He shared some story, right? Uh, some real story. You know what? I, I I'd be honest with you. If somebody came running into my car and like slammed the door, I think I would have been screaming too. And he talked about hey, it being okay. 
white guy, black guy screaming together in a car because of this sort of common experience, but it was okay. Where do we go from here? Right. Um, and he sort of led us then in this dialogue of there's a necessary uh, step that we need to take, yeah. um, not just just to understand one another, but to walk through life yeah. um, together. And I loved I loved the how how he used the the scripture and the story of Lazarus and and how uh, to kind of a, a few things that stuck out to me right was when he's then they were responded where were you Jesus and how he he did not have to defend himself he did not say don't question me. I know what I'm doing. He didn't say I was busy. I'll be, you know, I have another plan. I'll figure this out. Right. He let them kind of be in a season of mourning, right? There, and how he brought that the trauma piece that I think is really, really strong, right. as well. Is like, you know, when people are in traumatic positions, like you extend grace too to say, hey, I know you're going through a lot. Right. Let me just. And then he said, take me to them, right? right. Or where's he at? And then, and then that. The, the embodiment of walking together. That's right. Like, they didn't just say, hey, he's over there. Go over there if you want to see it. Like, that's right. they walk together. And I thought that's a great picture. Right. And because the caution, right, when he said, the relation without relationship, you're left to stereotypes. That's right. Assumptions. Assumptions. And that, the, I, man, this is where we feel it. We, as, a, as a society, we really get it wrong. Like, right. especially when we're left to social media feeds, we're left to 144 characters per thought. Right. Right, we don't. We're not engaged in a present conversation. We're just spitting out information. It could be very impersonal. It could be very. It can be, and it's left to interpretation. Like right. how dangerous is this means of communication? Right. Right. Instead of saying "walk with me," I'll, I'll throw you a meme. Right. I'll throw you a newscast. What someone else said. Right. It's dangerous ground that we walk yeah. on. That you know, that walk with me. I, I believe that's the spirit of reconciliation. In fact. Right, to become reconciled with one another. We're coming right. on equal grounds, with equal terms, giving each other equal space yeah. uh, to be able to have those conversations, to walk together in this, not walk over each other in this. Absolutely. And I can imagine that walk is probably pretty quiet. <laughs> like, you know, just they're just walking, right? Yeah. And I think with friendship, and I, I really would love to encourage people Go find a friend that's black or not your color. And it's okay to take time to get to know each other. It's okay because that's how we're going to learn each other. I'm not going to learn about black with if you're Korean or, or, or a black from Korean or Filipino from, from Mexican. You know, you almost need to go to that culture yeah. to, to, to know them, to learn from them, and to build that relationship. I think that Jesus walked with us in this passage too when he said he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And God could have easily moved and rolled that stone away by a single word and spoken it. But yet he said for us to roll the stone away, humanity to roll the stone away, to us to put our hands on what was cold and difficult and is the barrier in our life and to roll it away by him working through us so that we can work with him in what he is doing so that we do what we can do, and then God does what only he can do. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I feel like I want that to be our scripture. We, we, we want, so put your name in there. Irene, come forth for everything that has died in my life mm. or is dead in my life or that the enemy has wanted to silence in my life. Irene, come forth. Put your name in there. Julie, come forth. David, come forth. Your God is calling you right now. Yeah, it's absolutely. You know, and Pastor Herman took all the complexities of all of this and all of his experience and all of the trauma um, in all of this and broke it down uh, 
uh, to one simple act. And he challenged all of us and he asked, here's your action item uh, for this, just not just this weekend, but moving forward. What's the one thing you can do in your sphere of influence? That one little thing you can do to start moving the dialogue in a relationship. What is that one thing that you can do? And invite you guys you know, start not only thinking about that, and if you have it in your mind, to start tapping it in the chat. Maybe it'll start to start to jog the spirits of others to start thinking about what what's that one thing um, for me. And um, you know, we've got plenty of opportunities um, to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, Cathedral of Faith, we just want to thank you uh, for for tuning in, not to this service, but to this season. That's right. This is a season of reconciliation. This is a season of learning. This is a season of listening. This is a ceiling season of healing. I believe it. it. I believe it. Like the obstacle is still the way, right? Expect it. This thing that we're going through, we're, we're not stuck in a problem. We are the problem Mm. and God's working on all of us. Okay. So let's stay engaged in this conversation. Do, do your homework this weekend. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do together as a community. That's right. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of reminded too of the scripture says, they will know you are mine by the way that you love. Right. And so let's love the world. Let's love our brothers and sisters. That's let's right. love our community. So That's right. Cathedral of Faith, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. Let's watch and see what God will do. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. Thanks for Amen. tuning in. And as always, That's it's a wrap. A wrap.